Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Frankie Bagdate. Frankie owns and operates FAAB Consulting, which offers school and camp consultation, as well as training for professionals in education, camping, and mental health fields. In addition, she runs a solo private practice as a clinical social worker specializing in ADD, ADHD, anxiety, emotional regulation, executive functioning, and parenting support. Her first book, I Love My Kids, But I Don't Always Like Them, was published in 2021 and has won several awards. In the episode, Frankie discusses how to conserve parenting energy, when discipline makes sense versus when it doesn't, why it's important to get curious about the root cause of undesirable behaviors, and more. If you're liking this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write a review and share it with a friend. Thank you so much in advance. Now, enjoy the episode. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Frankie. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I think your people reached out to my people. I, I think I am just my people, but <laughs> oh my goodness. you know, I recently acquired people. So I love it. Exciting, yeah. And every time a person reaches out on behalf of somebody else, I think I should really get one of those. People. No, we all need people. Let me tell you, we all need people. But yeah. I have often people's people reaching out to me about being on the podcast, and a lot of guests aren't a great fit. But immediately, I could tell that I wanted to talk to you. So I'm glad. Thank you. The person reached out, and I'm glad we connected. Yeah, me too. And I also love the title of your book. I think. Thank probably you. This, that's probably not the first time you've heard that, but uh, <laughs> I'd love if you could start out by telling us a little bit about your background and specifically what led you to write your book. I love my kids, but I don't always like them. Yeah, sure. So um, my background is um, a start in education. I was a classroom teacher. I um, went back and got my master's in special education, worked at a couple of private schools, um, transitioned into school consulting, where I really started to realize um, that behavior and learning challenges and mental health were all so connected. Um, I took a little sidetrack and worked at a large overnight camp for five years where I was on the director team and I was coordinating all of our intake on um, emotional, mental, social health. Um, And then in 2019, I got laid off. And 
thankfully, I guess, like so many layoff stories, it ended up being, you know, a blessing in disguise. It pushed me to go off on my own and really think about what I wanted. And I um, started consulting and speaking and writing. And that's when I found that space to write this book. I, I realized with my own three kids that everything I learned in the classroom, in the camp cabin, you know, in, in school consulting, I could use some of those things in my house. And with all of the professional um, training I had, nothing prepared me for parenting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, it didn't matter that I had worked with kids for two decades. That was a totally unique challenge. So I figured anything I could do to, number one, help parents feel less alone, and number two, sort of demystify some of the complicated nature of parenting. There's so much noise these days about the right and wrong way to do things um, and just sort of guide parents um, and simplify things. Um Somewhere along the way with the pandemic and the world slowing down, I went back to school and got my social work degree. So I now spend a few days a week seeing patients, focusing, um, you know, really mostly in neurodivergent patients, ADHD, anxiety, um, autism, and other related challenges, parenting support. And then I spend my other days doing, you know, the school consulting and the speaking and writing here and there. I know I don't know how I do all of those things at once, but sometimes I to do that. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, I mean, I wish you had more education and credentials. I really um, wish you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. Such a slacker. Here. That's Such a slacker. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think we know this about each other, but I also started out in education. I was a teacher. Yeah, I was a teacher for 12 years prior to doing the work I do now in nutrition coaching. But uh, yeah, I I also don't have kids yet. So all of my questions are going to be coming through the filter of an aunt and also a former teacher. I don't have my own children, but I can understand, I think, a lot of the struggles parents have as an outsider talking to friends and family members with kids themselves and hanging out with kids uh, for extended periods of time. You say that it can be hard to enjoy your child, Mm -hmm. but that that's a solvable problem. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I, you know, it's like one of those concepts that sounds so simple, um, but it's really easy to forget. Um, what I realized, I think my biggest lesson with my own kids is if I took a step back and really recognize them as individuals, um, you know, is who they were. So yeah, one of my kids might be eight, but they may have strengths more like a 10 year old in certain areas and skills, you know, there are more like a four year old in other areas. And if I accept them and embrace them, it really just made my life easier. And honestly, it allowed me to let certain things go. And those things didn't even have to be addressed at all. And that really allowed me to connect and enjoy with my kids differently. So this is a concept professionally, I totally understood. I worked in special education. I mean, I was training hundreds and hundreds of teachers a year on differentiation and accommodations and meeting kids where they were. But it was so easy to forget um, when it became so personal in my own house with my own kids. So to me, that was really my biggest aha moment to just take a moment and before we do anything think about you know what each of my three kids might be doing in that moment and have you know those right-sized expectations 
I think some of my worst days as a teacher were the days I expected the kids to be my age. <laughs> just, I taught freshman and sophomore. I taught in an all boys school. And so ninth and 10th grade boys. Okay. And I would show up just tired or, you know, in a mood, whatever. And they would be acting like ninth and 10th grade boys. And I would just have this expectation that they should be... 30 or something. And then I'd have to pause myself and say, wait a second. Yeah. They're 14 and 15. They're not 30 years old. They're not developmentally there yet. So of course, rather than being shocked by their behavior, just kind of thinking, of course, they're acting like this because they're 14 and 15 years old. Absolutely. And really by putting yourself in the mindset, it allows you to plan ahead, right? So I have to talk about this topic, how are ninth and 10th grade boys going to react to it potentially? Let me plan for those scenarios. So that puts everyone in such a better mood. So whether I'm talking to parents, I'm talking to, you know, camp staff, I'm talking to teachers, I'm talking to anyone who really, I would say works with humans, let alone just kids, the best way to handle behavior issues is to prevent them mm-hmm. by just knowing who you're dealing with and right. what they might need to be successful. To kind of plan ahead. And I think from friends, I've heard just kind of managing expectations. Mm-hmm. I had a friend once say with a two-year-old, they sort of expect leaving the park that the kid's going to melt down. So sure. it's not a surprise when they do. Mm-hmm. And instead of the other way around of every time, just being shocked and surprised if like, oh my gosh, they don't want to leave again. And just, it's like, this happens every time they're, they're sad. They don't want to leave and just kind of expecting that behavior and working through it. And then not being so caught off guard, I guess. Yes. It's so, it's so true. It really, that changes my mood so much when I can get in that mindset. You mentioned behaviors. So Mm -hmm. I would love if you could talk a little bit about identifying the root cause of behavior. I know you speak a lot about that. Are there a few primary causes of poor behavior typically that parents can kind of plan for or look out for? Or how do you how do you get to the root cause? So there's really this big behavioral principle that you may hear out there, that behavior is communication. And it sounds like an oversimplification. However, if you really sort of, I have it like written down lots of places. I really try to remind myself of that. And that opens me up to ask questions um, and of myself, of the child or of the adult struggling and slow down before I'm reactive, before I try to like throw a consequence on something. Um, It really allows me to do the work. So it could be a myriad of things. And often what is so confusing to us um, is that it might be about something to happen eight hours earlier. But when you think about it, we get that about ourselves and adults, right? Like I might come home from a long day of work and my husband will say, what's for dinner? And I'll totally snap at him. Like he asked like the most ridiculous, rude question. That wasn't really about him. It was about like my three clients that didn't show up and like something else and me not wanting to make dinner, right? So we (laughs) get those like cumulative effects, but somehow like we don't always give children actually the same grace we might give our our adult friends or partners um, that, You know, if they had a tough morning and they were arguing with their parents, that can affect them at school. Um, And, you know, if they had a tough day at school, that can affect them at home. So sometimes it's like timing. It's things built up. 
you know, some kids aren't so great at explaining um, that they're not feeling well. So there can be something like a medical need behind it. It can be so many things. And really what I find is missing so often is that moment to ask the person what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So we would hope um, as adults, if we're working in a boss notices like we're not ourselves that before they would get angry at us or write us up or fire us god forbid that they would sit down and just say hey like i'm noticing a change what's going on and give us a chance to explain what's going on and see how we can work together we want to do that with kids as well and i think we skip over that assuming maybe the kid doesn't have that awareness and you know i've done this work and i've suggested sort of this framework to early childhood educators who are working with two, three, and four-year-olds. And at their own level, they sometimes can communicate what's going on. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they have to use the bathroom and they have no one to ask. It can be something really simple and something really complicated and cumulative um, to what's going on with them. Yeah, because I was going to ask about toddlers, let's say, who can't necessarily communicate like a five-year-old could. Mm -hmm. And so how do you kind of build those communication skills in younger kids? So the first piece of advice is don't ever expect to ask a child a like rational question when they're already in the meltdown because like you won't get anywhere. Like sometimes we just have to ride those things out. Um, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents and also, you know, professionals do this too, that it's our job to stop the tantrum or meltdown. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just to, you know, be there while they have their moment and then to ask what was going on or figure out what you can do differently. Um, With really young kids, sometimes the root cause is not as complex and they're just trying to figure things out. Like they want to know, you know, how to control some things and have some autonomy that they don't have much of as a toddler. So, it's really a lot of modeling. So when I, you know, lose it on my kids, and I definitely do, I'm not perfect, and I don't like the way I've behaved, I'm really careful to apologize and explain what happened and use those like social emotional vocabulary words. I was frustrated, here's why. Um, you know, I wish I hadn't done this. But I'm still struggling with what's happening at dinner. Can you help me with you know, A, B, and C. So really, as soon as they're born, we start talking to our babies even, and that's how they learn so many things. So labeling our own feelings can be so helpful. Now, in my practice, I work with, you know, young adults who may still, for various reasons, be struggling with that emotional vocabulary. So you can learn it even as you're older. And lots of adults have trouble communicating those needs. It can feel awkward um, or too like mushy-gushy and I don't like it. So even us as adults, we can still work on our communication skills and really explaining more clearly what we need and what's bothering us. I want to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company I've been impressed by for years. Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment 
which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. I love that idea of modeling. That's something mm-hmm. you learn through teacher education. Yes. I'm wondering, I've heard a lot of with toddlers giving two choices mm-hmm. and not kind of overwhelming with choices. Is that a helpful tactic of, do you want to go to the bathroom first or do you want to brush your teeth first? Yes. So it's so helpful and really Again, like if you're a toddler, like you're not in control of much at all. So giving them that little choice can be so, so helpful. And there are certain kids, even by age two, are more sensitive to that like loss of autonomy and it makes them really anxious. So getting some control back in a way that is acceptable to everyone like it doesn't matter to me whether you want the blue cup or the green cup. So I'll give you a choice mm-hmm. um, really can make things much um, smoother for everyone. And it works with older kids too. Sometimes I would find in a certain phase with my own kids that since they were like visibly older, I forget that they want choices too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're not like likely to melt down about the same things, but they're still going to get frustrated. Um, so sometimes like my kids school me and things. And I remember my son who's almost 11, you know, he turned like seven and he's the third kid. He's super easy going and he was like mom stop signing me up for activities without asking me and we had this conversation i was like i thought you did want to play baseball and he's like i do but can you ask me first Mm. and i'm like you know what you were right like that's not cool of me um i I shouldn't be guessing i should ask him right and Mm -hmm. especially since both answers were fine with me. If he wanted right. to go to school or not, like that, I can't negotiate with. But baseball, sure, we can talk about that. Right. And I've heard it said you offer two choices, both of which you're okay with. So yeah. like blue cup, green cup, don't mm-hmm. care. Or, you know, bathroom first or toothbrush first, whichever one, mm-hmm. you're fine with both. It's not like you have to offer, do you want to brush your teeth or not? <laughs> right. Because then, you know, you have yeah. to go with whatever they say. You know, now that my kids are older, I frame it a little differently. Um, One of my kids is still like really sensitive to demands. Um, And I think like at school and extracurriculars, they're fine. They listen to the adults. They're totally polite. By the time they get home and it's their safe space with me, like just a simple demand like brush your teeth can get us into a little bit of a argument. So I might say to them, you know, it is eight o'clock and you need to go upstairs at 930 and you have to have your teeth brushed. When would you like to do it? Because again, like, I don't care if it's right now or at 929, as long as it's done and give them even like a, a bigger range because it's appropriate for their age. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can tweak it a bit um, for different age groups, but really giving choices is just powerful for anyone. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, we did that. We experimented with that in our English department 
of letting the kids choose, we would say you can choose one of these two books to read. Uh-huh. And the buy-in, oh my god, actually reading it was insane. Versus thirty oh. percent of the kids actually reading the book, it went to something like ninety percent of the kids. Even yeah. if they didn't like the book that they chose, they still knew they chose it. Uh-huh. So there was something about that psychologically, and they would read it. It is true. And I mean, listen, like schools, all kinds of demands on them that they don't have control over. So, yeah, that just happened. I have a sophomore, a 16 year old, and she just got the choice of three books to read for an English class. And she asked me if I knew any of them. And I was kind of like laughing inside because I'm like, oh, yeah, those are all pretty dry. (laughs) (laughs) They all suck. They're terrible. (laughs) And I was like, right. And I was like, okay. And she read the descriptions and I'm like, she's not going to think any of these sound sound great but she she reacted the same way she was just like um okay i'll choose this one and i could tell there was like it wasn't like oh i'm gonna read this there was a total different energy because she got to choose it really Mm -hmm. does go a long way and again it's the teacher's fine with all three choices they probably have similar themes and character development so you can have Mm -hmm. discussions in class on different books. It doesn't have to be that everybody's reading the exact same book. Mm-hmm. But I think just little things like that. I know I was a very strong-willed child, my mom likes to say. And she was a kindergarten teacher. And she uh, had a book next to her bed, I think, called The Strong-Willed Child. And <laughs> when I was old enough to read, I said, who's that book for? And she said, oh, you know, just some kid in my class. But it was for me. Uh but she did that. I remember it was just a battle of my chores of you got to unload the dishwasher. And then it would, I would just fight back, fight back. And then she started just saying, by the time you go to bed, you have to unload the dishwasher. And then all of a sudden I could do it whenever I felt like it. It was no problem. Or for things that I could take longer to do, they would say by Sunday night, these things need to get done. Just having the choice of when to do it. I just, you probably just want to dissolve conflict as much as possible. There's still going to be conflict, but if it doesn't need to exist because choices can be given, then might as well just give choices. Right. And it also arms you with a different kind of, you have like this investment already when you do need to make a choice. So are there times as a parent, like I can't give a choice? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, our kids need to go in and have checkups and vaccinations. And there's things that we just require for our kids because we know we do know better in some ways right and we we understand the meaning behind things that they mean they may not understand so um you know love and logic which is a jim fay curriculum that's been around since the 70s and is so brilliant he talks about how you're like building up your bank account by giving all these choices that are totally okay with you during the day so when you need to look at your kid and say hey bud like i give you choices all day long but i need to choose something now it's less resistance. I'm not saying any kids can be like, you're right. That's totally fair, but it's less resistance. <laughs> you're right, mom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's yet to happen to me, yeah. but you know, they, they, some, they get the logic a bit and it's mm-hmm. less of an argument because in the classroom, in your house, like it, you do sometimes just have to make a choice and move on. It can't always be a negotiation. So give those choices when you can. I saw somewhere that it was either an article or another podcast you'd done where you were talking about behavior charts. Mm -hmm. Are those helpful for some kids? Not helpful. What are your thoughts on behavior charts? 
Oh, it's so interesting. Um, they are, they can certainly be helpful. I, I'm not really the kind of like professional who wants to like just throw out anything and say, no, we don't do those anymore. But it's more for me, I've learned that there's a lot of steps sometimes skipped. So a big thing for me is when I'm, you know, working with a school or a teacher trying to help a kid in the classroom and they haven't yet asked the kid for their opinion on what's going on. I mean, talk about buy-in, right? So if a child's really behaving in a disruptive way and then even if it's like a cute sticker chart with an incentive, we again give them more demand, it, it might not get you anywhere. So talking to that child makes them feel involved and it's respectful. And then you're going to learn something probably about why the behavior is happening too. And we need to then understand what they're capable of. So I work with so many people with these invisible disabilities. When I meet someone, I can't see on their face that, you know, they have ADHD. It's not necessarily apparent, um, but it is a disability and they could need different expectations, accommodations, and so on. So sometimes the expectation that the teacher may have is not quite realistic yet, or it can't be done without an accommodation or some teaching. So what do I hear all the time? Because it's so distracting to other kids. You know, we have young children, they're doing morning meeting, they're sitting in a circle, and there's one kid who's like rolling around and knocking everybody over and all of these things. So even if I knew that kid was like obsessed with Hot Wheels and I made a great sticker chart and said, every time you sit for the whole morning meeting, I'm giving you a Hot Wheel, there's not going to be a change if that child um can't sit yet due to who they are, can't sit still that way. They may really want to, but they can't control it. But I could give them an alternative seat, um, use a timer and have small goals, give them a fidget. Like there's so many things we could do. And then for sure, they're working hard to change something. I have no issue with them working for a reward or even a chart just to show their progress. But I want it to see it done in a positive way. And I it always makes me nervous when I see them, um, when I'm not sure that anyone stopped to see what the child's capable of. Because so many kids spend their school time like being corrected constantly for things they're not capable of changing yet. Maybe mm -hmm. they will eventually, um, or skills they just don't have. And that does really affect their self-esteem. And now I have all these adults in my practice who are still working on some ADHD type strategies. And when we talk about school, like they're still really dealing with some of that just rejection they got constantly and they internalize that. So I think that they can be super effective as long as we follow all these steps. I went back, I was looking for a document yesterday um, for a workshop I'm teaching and I found something like I wrote 10 years ago, it's not really that long ago. And I, like, when I was explaining how to use a sticker chart, I didn't explain any of those steps. Like, I didn't get it then either. So I think it's a kind of newer way of looking at things. Um, but I really think it's so important. What about discipline? I know, you know, timeouts or when kids are older, grounding or go to your room. Where does kind of effective discipline fall into all of this? So in a similar way, there should be consequences to actions because we want them to get used to that. That's just what happens in life, right? If you scream at your boss, like 
that something negative will probably happen unless you're super lucky, right? Um, but again, we want to really know our kids and know what they're capable of. So, you know, my kids are really sensitive to sleep. Like, so one of the stories I tell is when I took my like five-year-old to a family event that was like started an hour past his bedtime and he was really like not pleasant, which I expected. I wasn't going to start like threatening him with punishments and like take away all screen time the next day. Really like I didn't set him up for success. So it wasn't the time for like consequences. I may have uh, done some nice rewards like, yeah, you want another cookie? You know, sure. Like we did what we had to do. Um, But in that situation, that wasn't me being like a permissive parent. I was being realistic. It really wouldn't have been fair for me to punish. Um, In the same way, you know, if I have a child who, you know, I know school is very difficult for them in any way, socially, emotionally, um, academically, and they are in a really grouchy mood the minute they get off the bus, I'm not going to nitpick everything that comes out of their mouth the first hour. I'm going to get them inside. I'm going to get them that like snack immediately, give them alone time, you know, and then if the behavior continues later, like maybe we'll discuss it, but I'm going to give them some space. So I think that discipline is important. I think we also just have to have the right expectations. Um, There's definitely things we don't have to address. And I, I really feel like, you know, even if you're giving out punishments in a way that makes that aligns with this wonderful book you read and there's like 30,000 five-star reviews on Amazon and it's by a brilliant child psychologist. If it's not changing your kid's behavior, Mm. then stop. You know, it doesn't make you a bad parent. So there have been times with particular children for particular reasons that I have advised parents just put the consequence model aside and they look at me like I'm a little crazy. Um, But then I remind them, like, what has it done for you? Has it helped Mm -hmm. them improve? Has it helped your relationship? Is it helping their behavior? And if it's not, then we put it aside. Or there's some kids who do really well with like a very classic, you know, timeout model. Like they're hitting their brother. Okay, you know, you're four. You're going to go sit in your room for four minutes, apologize, and we'll move on. And it works beautifully and they learn. Um, But just every situation is so different. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive, one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently, have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings, and stay consistent long-term. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Health Investment. When you say put the consequence model aside, so what does that look like if a child is, let's say, hitting their brother? So it doesn't mean you ignore it, right? Um, You know, you might ask them to stop. And if they don't, then, you know, you can separate them. And then once the child's calm, it's again that like, let's talk about what's going on. Maybe they're upset with their brother and it's something 
that you have to, you know, to, to deal with. Maybe they're jealous because they're losing. Okay, my child really needs some help on, um, you know, how to be a more positive loser in a game. It, it's a very tough skill. So let's practice. So the next time we play Uno and they lose, because it will happen, you know, on occasion, they know what to do. Or let me like catch my kids warning signs and say, you know what? This game looks like it's just too hard right now for you to handle. You know, we don't talk that way in our house, so we're going to stop playing the game. And really, that's a consequence, too. It's just not like a traditional punitive punishment. Mm -hmm. But I think those kinds of like redirections make perfect sense. I, I think where it doesn't always work for everyone is when there's some sort of consequence given arbitrarily that has nothing to do with what's going on. So if your kids are fighting over Uno and you look at one and say, you know, you're a poor sport, like no computer games for three days, there's not necessarily a connection and it's not necessarily going to change their behavior. It will work for some kids because everything does. Um, But if you have a really challenging child who's like struggling in a lot of areas, that may not be the right fit. Mm -hmm. So then it would be more let's put the uno game away for a while yeah that is a consequence it's just not the no computer games for three days consequence yes yes and it also gets you out of that mode of like if you don't do this like the constant threat that you may or may not follow through with (laughs) because you're just you've had it right and i mean teachers do it too. Like I, even when I was a classroom teacher, it was like, if you guys aren't quiet, we're not having any recess. And then you think about that. Well, that's not going to serve me really well. So do I want to do that? Right. I think every teacher does that once. And then you realize the only person that's hurting is you. That was the worst idea I ever had. Right. So listen, like, are those things going to come out of our mouths? Yes, of course. And you know, (laughs) we'll do better next time. Um, But you know, really looking at every kid, you know, and what, and their individual needs. I I think there's a lot of like arbitrary rules that someone came up with that you have to give consequences for every disrespectful moment. If you're a good parent, you have to, I mean, speaking of nutrition, like your kids have to eat a certain amount of fruits and vegetables and you can't, you know, ever make um, kid food for them. If you're a good parent, like there's so many rules. And I, I think that really takes away our ability to get to know our kids and just see what they need. We don't mm-hmm. expect all adults to function the same way. I mean, my hus- if my husband came up to me and said, you know, they're hiring in my engineering firm. It's a good job. You should take a job there. Like that would not go well. I can't do that at all. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. So people work to their strengths as adults and we need to let kids do that too. Is that kind of what you mean when you say to conserve parenting energy? Yes. I mean, so yes, it's really, you know, I I tell these stories in the beginning of the book of things that have happened to me as a parent. Like I would get my kids ready for an outing and I would plan it well and there'd be something of their interest. And my expectations would be so unrealistic of how everyone would behave and, you know, how everyone would get along that I would come home like and be angry at everyone and wonder why I ever left the house and why I was, you know, why I had kids, you know, (laughs) really get dramatic. Um, And I finally realized like, it was me actually in that moment. It was my mindset. So a couple things happened when I went through sort of realistically what an outing might look like. Well, someone's going to have to go to the bathroom. 
Okay, that gives me also time to pre-plan. Where are the bathrooms at the zoo? That's a good idea. Now I won't have an accident with a kid, you know, screaming after the bathroom. Let me know where, where the bathrooms are. All right, this particular kid doesn't have the same amount of energy. So they're going to get really cranky after an hour, but a snack usually helps. Oh, now I can plan a snack. So not only does it just put me in a place where I'm not going to get as agitated because my expectations aren't so unrealistic, but I can also really plan ahead well. And no, it still won't be perfect, but then I can see the things that go well in that outing. Sure, like we might have had a few meltdowns, but look how happy the kids were when we saw the bunnies and we bumped into our friends and that was so nice, you know, and, and count the nice moments yeah. <laughs> instead of all those really tough ones. Um, yeah, it really, for me, like I felt like it really did, you know, conserve that parenting energy um, because if not, I was always just kind of fighting a losing battle, really. Yeah. Are there any parenting strategies after years of helping parents kind of incorporate these into their lives that are your go-tos that a listener could implement just today? I think you've shared some, but any others that come to mind of, if you start doing this, it'll be magical. (laughs) God, I wish it was that simple, right? (laughs) Um, But I mean, for sure, like being realistic about where your kid is. And that really requires listening to your child, but also to the professionals working with your kids. You know, I've been on both sides of that conference room table. You know, if your child's struggling with something, um, being accepting and getting to know who they are for whatever that looks like, Um, you know, including your child in that problem solving when things aren't going well, um, because number one, like, that's you're teaching them such great skills when they you know aren't getting along with their college roommate or with a colleague you want them to be able to talk about it too so it's it's such great modeling um let's see and you know in terms of like a golden you know rule that everyone should follow it's really i I struggle with that um because i learn all the time that even my own kids and they're three of like the most different humans still need different things at different phases so really it's just being flexible Mm -hmm. and not feeling like it's our responsibility to correct every behavior at every moment. Like, it's okay. Like your kids does something super obnoxious or really rude to someone. Like, you know, that behavior has to be discussed, but if you're not in the right place to discuss it, you know, respectfully, and you're really amped up, it's okay to like say to your kid, that was not cool, but we need to talk about it tomorrow. Um, that doesn't make you a good parent. That's also great modeling, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, to give ourselves grace too, that we can't always handle everything perfectly in the moment. It's okay to pause. It's okay to not address everything because you just missed it or you're at the grocery store and you just need to get through it. That's okay too. <laughs> well, it makes me think of uh, marriage or partnership, that yes. whole idea of choose your battles. Yes. If yeah. you addressed every single tiny little thing that irked you, mm-hmm. it would be the worst marriage in the world. <laughs> like, right. Right. You got to let some stuff slide and just, you know, give yeah. the person the benefit of the doubt sometimes. And yeah. 
maybe think, you know, oh, you know, they did not sleep well last night or their commute was rough. And that's Mm -hmm. why they're being kind of short with me. I mean, you can't, you can't have this sit down. Let's talk about your tone or (laughs) for every single thing. I mean, that would just be ridiculous. Yeah. That's really unpleasant. Right. And no one has taught me that more than like my teenagers now, you know, I have, I have an eighth grader and a 10th grader. So in a few weeks, like I'll have two high schoolers. I don't even know how that happened to me. Um, and I mean, boy, have they taught me that because, you know, they don't really like pity laugh at my jokes anymore. You know, they're tough. Um, and if I addressed every like not beautiful comment and, and rolling of eyes, like we would no longer talk. Yeah. Like, that they would not want to be with me at all and still you know it's not like I'm their first choice anymore because they're teenagers so I need to preserve that and make sure that when I'm really going to correct something it's 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 worth it it needs to be done because they also are bigger kids and bigger problems you know that phrase like when something really needs to be worked on sometimes the consequences are really big it's different than like, you know, a toddler not sharing necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I really have to be so intentional about picking my battles. So going through that, like firsthand experience, I've worked with teenagers for years, but you know, nothing prepares you for raising two at the same time. Um, it's actually taught me a lot about even what to sort of move past with my 10 year old who's not thinking this quite there yet <laughs> and that I really could even with him you know pick my battles better mm-hmm. I think you said a really critical word also the word pause yes that it's not always that you have to completely ignore it or because mm-hmm. there can probably be kind of stress in that moment of I don't want to ignore this behavior. I want to address this behavior. Mm-hmm. But if you just push the pause button and think, OK, I can address this later. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably another way to kind of give yourself grace. That yeah. You can press pause and address it in the future if you want. Or mm-hmm. maybe you decide you don't want to mm-hmm. and you just kind of move on. But giving yourself that little break from that exact yeah. moment. It's so important. I mean, anytime I try to handle anything like reactively, it it doesn't go well. Right. So I really work. That's a constant, um, you know, thing in progress for me is like remembering to pause. Um, And it doesn't mean even though I'm not necessarily going to like give a consequence for every rude statement, I I do have boundaries. So unless we're in the car and I can't go anywhere, um, you know, if I'm having a conversation with one of my teens and every word is like snarky and unpleasant, I'll sometimes say, you know, like, sounds like you're not in the mood to talk and I'll walk away. And you know what? Like my next question was going to be, what do you feel like for dinner? So I'm not asking. I'll ask the kid who's being nice to me in the kitchen. And, and you know what? Like if my six year old asked me why I didn't ask her opinion later, I'll share it. Like I'll try my best not to be like, you know, judging snarky when I respond, (laughs) you know, you weren't in the mood to talk and you were being rude and I didn't feel like listening to it. Like, that's okay. That's a natural consequence. Um, So you can put, you know, some boundaries in without like taking each comment and giving a consequence. It's not like we want to stop teaching them and just let everything slide. Um, But, you know, it's not like no phone for a day, no phone for two days, no phone for three. And then all of a sudden they don't have their phone for a month. 
but the uh-huh. behavior is still happening. It's right. And then you have no way to contact them. <laughs> yes. Right. I mean, you've seen like, it's like a classic sitcom scene, you know, where the dad starts taking things away and they're like, you're ground until you're 40, you know, like you, yeah. you just keep adding and nobody's gonna, no one's following through with that. No one's following through. Exactly. Mm-hmm. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? And you can take this any way, you know, parent, parental health, physical health, and how, any way you want to answer that. Um, you know, I have learned, unfortunately, the hard way a few times in the last couple of years, um, that it's like really not a choice to not take care of myself so that I can take care of my family. Like it, it catches up with me. So if I like push, 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 like, you know, thinking about their needs first, all the time I get sick and it didn't happen to me as much when I was younger, but it is now like it, it happens in big ways. And then I'm knocked out for three days and I don't, I can't care for anyone. So for me, it's like, yeah, I may make it to one out of three of my kids' baseball games, but I make sure there's a family member there. It's not like he's you know deserted um, so that I can do something for work and not be working in the middle of the night or do something for myself. Um, And that will actually make me a better parent and it's good for me. It's both. So that is one of those lessons that, man, I like learn over and over again, sometimes in a very hard way (laughs) that I'm really trying to be um, more proactive about. Um, not just like the two weeks after I'm like laid out sick for three days, but when I'm feeling good too, keeping myself feeling good and figuring out what that is for me. It seems like there's so much pressure now, not even to attend games, but even practices. And then you're just, I mean, from three to seven every single day, shuffling kids around and sitting at a baseball practice, right? It's not even a game. I I used to play tennis when I was little and I remember my mom would drop me off and then she'd come pick me up and it was fine. She'd gotten groceries or something and I had fun. I didn't care at all if she was sitting there. I probably had more fun because she wasn't there. Right. Well, it, yes, it, it, there's a lot of pressure on parents that is very different. I even noticed like, you know, my first child was born in 2007. So like, Somewhere between before I had my second child, I ended up on Facebook. So that was just like the very beginning of social media. There were a few things before MySpace, Friendster, but they didn't really take off. Um, And I remember like when our kids were young, we would compare milestones and whatever. And there was just pressure. This parent made this beautiful first birthday. I should do it too. But we weren't seeing it visually thrown at us thousands of times a day like young parents are now. So the difference in 16 years is like just astronomical in terms of visually seeing what you know it means to be a good parent. So we have to be really critical about that and make sure that it actually aligns with what we want and our values too, um, because it's not possible. Yeah. I know. I mean, that's, that's one of my biggest hesitations. I mean, I'm I'm planning to have kids, but it's my scariest part of this kind of uh, pressure, I think, that exists now that didn't in the past. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm not saying that no pressure existed in the past, but I think with the advent of social media, and then you see a parent posting at their kids practice. It's like, Oh my gosh, but I didn't go to the practice and they're there and they're wondering where I am. I mean, it just seems like this whole thing. 
It, it is different. And, I, you know, it's all like a blessing and a curse, right? Like the flip side is if you're concerned about your child, you can, you know, with two clicks, perhaps find like a really good resource. So it's not all bad, like anything new, but we have to learn how to like live with it and work with it in a healthy way. We're not there yet for sure. Right. Where can listeners follow and find you? Um, so I'm all over social media channels. Um, Frankie Baghdad on Instagram. I'm on TikTok, um, YouTube, Facebook. Um, you can find me on my website and I have a Substack blog and um, I'm starting to convert all of my blogs to audio. So it plays like a podcast. Um <laughs> Those people who like want to read but just can't find the time, um, that's a new fun project. So, yeah, come by and stop by. I really strive to give out tons of free resources and support and help parents navigate all of that noise about like correct parenting and all of that good stuff. Right. I uh, was reading a bunch of your Amazon reviews of your book oh. and people speak to the fact that it's very accessible Versus these long-winded books that you never have time to read. You can just read through a quick chapter. They said it's conversational Mm -hmm. and you get the advice you need and then you move on and you can read another chapter another day. So I think I will definitely link to your book, but I think for anybody listening, if you want very practical, quick, accessible advice, sounds like an awesome resource. Thank you. Yeah, I I really respect people's time and a parent's time is really precious. So I wanted you to yeah finish that first chapter and have a new idea. That was my goal. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Frankie, for sharing all of your wisdom with us here today. Sounds like your dog is ready for your attention. Oh, he was telling Perfect us timing. it's time to go, right? The, the <laughs> long guys in the back. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. There's been something happening here, too. I don't know if people have heard it. Sorry. Somebody <laughs> just started doing, like, renovations in the apartment above uh, me. Yes. At Murphy's Law, the second you start recording, of course, yeah, all of the interruptions happen. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.